I uh, I just knew in eighth grade like I want to be a music teacher, like, and I never strayed from that. Again, like there's there's study after study showing um, inequivocally that that you know playing a musical instrument that is actually very that focused on fine motor skills is one of the few activities ever that accesses every part of the brain. So basically, like if I'm conducting, like here's a four pattern, two, three, four, and like if I want to go more intense, it's like sharper, like this. Is much more smooth and like light, and also depending on the speed of music, I could go one, two, three, and I'm showing very slow, fluid motions. And so, what I convey as a conductor is how they should play. So, I'm conveying what I want them to feel and, and how I want them to play the music. Uh, if I'm conducting small motions, soft, large motions, like forte, lots of power, you know, and you, you are, you're the heart of the orchestra. You make the orchestra happen, you know? Without the heart, it doesn't, it can't feel as a group as well. So you're, you're using all these different sensory motions to uh, provide the orchestra the maximum amount of knowledge needed to give the best, best quality product of how the music should sound. Okay. So my dad had this quote, I love this, he said, if you're gonna get a 3% raise, how are you gonna teach 3% better? You know, there's the, 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 the sexy word right now is hustle, and, I, and I, I get it, but there's another quote, you know, there's always that phrase, work smarter, not harder, and I, I don't buy it, I think work smarter and harder. It's like, you have to do both. Sleep when you need to sleep, eat when you need to eat, if you need social time and rest time, it's important. But otherwise, you have to push yourself, and you have to put yourself out there in, in a, in a place where you might be uncomfortable. I guess I, I really want to be that, like, I think on the broader spectrum, like, not just orchestra education, I want to be one of the individuals when it comes to the person who, in the 2000s, revolutionized music education. Ten years ago, I interviewed 100 fascinating people and documented their stories in a two-volume book series. Today, my journey continues. I'll be engaging with captivating guests, having candid, meaningful, and uncensored discussion as I aim to reveal the passion that comes from within, unlocking the mysteries needed to make purposeful change. My objective is to be a connector and enlighten listeners through stories of struggle and success, heartache and inspiration, offering solutions to challenges we face each and every day. This is a broadcast of real people, real stories, and real conversation. Everyone has a story. My job is to ensure their stories are told. My name is Roger Brooks, inspired by Brian Rose of London Real and the London Real Academy and the Broadcast Yourself Accelerator course, I now bring you American Real. Welcome to our fourth episode of American Reel, where on this week's show, our guest is Kevin Oates, music instructor, conductor, TEDx speaker, and founder of Myro, the main youth rock orchestra. Kevin has been engulfed in music his entire life, since first picking up a cello at the age of four. He was a music teacher in the main public school system before discovering his passion as the executive director of Myro, a not-for-profit agency aimed toward empowering youth with musical genius. He is committed to his field of orchestra education while quickly and simultaneously making a tremendous impact on the mainstream music scene in Portland, Maine. I hope you enjoy my interview with Kevin as he works toward his goal of revolutionizing music education. Please share this episode with your friends, like us on Facebook and Twitter, and don't forget to subscribe to the American Reel YouTube channel. I'd like to thank our partners and sponsors, especially Happy Socks, turning an everyday essential into a colorful design item. I'll be wearing Happy Socks each and every episode. And now, without further ado, I bring to you Maestro Kevin Oates. Welcome to American Real. This is Roger Brooks. And today, my very special guest is Kevin Oates, executive director and founder of the Maine Youth Rock Orchestra. Yeah. Good to be here. Kevin, welcome. This is awesome. It's awesome how things just come together. It's, this was spur of the moment and like 
not planned at all, and I'm glad I did. This is a really cool experience, so I'm happy to be part of it. Thank you. The universe provides. So what it does very well. Awesome. So let's let's get right into this. Sure. So tell us about what you do, how this came to be, and as I understand from our earlier conversation, this is a nonprofit. Yeah. So so uh, Main Youth Rock Orchestra, or or Myro is a little easier way of saying sure. it. Sure. Um, is a 501c3 organization. Uh, we're based right here in Portland, Maine. Uh, basically, I started Myro because I was a I taught public school for eight years as an orchestra teacher. Okay. Both in upstate New York and here in Portland. And I also toured with bands. I played cello, touring with bands, recording, uh, doing studio work, uh, music videos. I did all that myself. And I realized that for students, there wasn't that opportunity, that application outside the classroom. Sure. And so I thought, you know, especially if for kids who are graduating high school, most of them quit. Like, they quit right. when they're done with high school. So I so said, what's a way I can get them excited and engaged about continuing to play an instrument that's a big part of their life for so many years and continuing to do it after high school. And so I came up with the idea of Myro in December 2013. Okay. And I, uh, we had our first rehearsal in February 2014. So the whole idea behind the organization, uh, these are all classically trained students, violin, viola, cello, bass, hmm. piano students, who they have to audition classically to get into the group. So they have to play a classical piece of music, uh, scales, sight reading, excerpts, just to audition to get in. Uh, but once they're in the group and in the orchestra, that's when I put them on stage with national bands and artists. So we just finished a performance with Guster at Thompson's Point. We accompanied them for 10 songs uh, in front of 4,500 people outside in Portland, Maine, uh, on the waterfront. And is there any rehearsal? Yeah, so we rehearse for months. We are... But not with the band. We rehearse one time with the band. You do, okay. Um, usually, most of the times, it is the day of the show is when we rehearse mm -hmm. with the band. Uh, lucky enough for Guster, we rehearsed the day before, and we had a few hours to rehearse with them. Okay. So, uh, to date, uh, since our launching in 2014, we have performed with uh, 29 different artists from rap, metal, folk, jam bands, everything, uh, alternative rock, uh, and then uh, we've done, so 29 artists in 42 performances, uh, across eight states in, in the country. It's incredible. Is there anything else out there remotely close? There are. There are a couple other nonprofits across the country. There is one in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, called uh, Contemporary Youth Orchestra. They've been around for 22 years, and they are awesome. Like really? They are a model uh, that I strive to become. Uh, but one, a big part of what I do is get the full industry experience, uh, so not just concerts. So we've gone and done recording sessions, we've written original music, we've done music videos, we've learned what it's like to be a touring artist. Those, those kind of aspects to the music industry uh, for these middle school and high school students. Um, and then there's one down in Nashville, Tennessee, which Mark Wood, uh, who founded Trans-Siberian Orchestra, okay. um, he started Youth Rock Orchestra on its own. And uh, that's a little more flashy and more of them playing covers by themselves as an orchestra. Whereas I like putting them on stage with these bands and artists that they've either grown to love or have loved. Some of our students, when we play with Guster, have been fans of Guster since they were in fifth, sixth grade. That's so amazing. And so not only do they get to you know meet them, but like share the stage and actually perform with them for a bunch of songs. So for for the average person that goes to this concert, do do they even know? To expect this is this something of a surprise? You no, know, it's uh, no, it's definitely not a surprise. We we market the heck out of these shows, and, and especially reaching out to our communities. And luckily, the community has been here in Portland and across the state of Maine has been very accepting of this organization. It was a hard sell at first; people thought it was a fun little program for kids. Uh, but really, these kids, these I should say, young adults, young artists, they take this work seriously. It sounds it. They work really hard. Um, so this concept has been around for quite a while. It goes back to the 1960s and 70s, bands performing with orchestras at live shows. Um, happens a lot at the Hollywood Bowl um, out in LA, uh, and uh, has done a lot at Red Rocks in Colorado. Okay. Um, this, this concept is done quite often, but not with youth as often. And that's the big, big piece that we really strive to fill, fill that void. Sure, sure. And so our students, uh, you know, it brings out something in them that I just you don't get anywhere else. You know, not only are we reinventing how we approach music education and how we teach students, uh, but one thing we really strive to to build upon is the emotional and, and creative growth. Like they just they have so much confidence in themselves. They're so driven. They come out of their shells. These are students who are shy as all heck, mm -hmm. and then. 
Uh, and then when they go on stage, they're dancing, That's they're wonderful. singing, they're playing with every ounce of their energy. And it shows. It really shows. So let's talk about that. Uh, I know my, my children are 11 and 15. Okay. They've grown up with music and they listen to everything from rap to, uh, you know, the new Hamilton Broadway show. So yeah. it's all over the place. But it just seems, you know, I'm thinking back to, to, to my youth. And I was definitely into music, but today, you know, with technology, um, with it so readily available, with YouTube, mm-hmm. um, kids have a diverse, uh, you know, uh, appetite. Absolutely. For, for do, do you think that plays into learning instruments, taking this route, and eventually getting, you know, into, into your group? Yeah, actually, and one, there's been one individual in New York City, um, his, name, he goes, his name's Drew Alexander Ford. Uh, but on YouTube, he goes by that viola kid. Literally, he makes a living on YouTube posting viola videos of him teaching techniques, performing. Uh, he has, like, I think, over 95,000 followers as he's 23 or 24. Uh, but he's that viola kid. And, like, you know, when I told my students, like, hey, we're, we're going Skype to Skype in with him, talk with him. He's eventually going to come up here and work with the students. Because, like, he believes in what we do. I believe in what he does. So because of the internet, because of things like YouTube, where we discover these amazing acts, you know, we discover these individuals who are making a difference for orchestral instruments, uh, who are really reinventing how we view things. And, you know, YouTube is really the new place for uh, the, the younger generation. YouTube and, and I guess Spotify, but mm-hmm. YouTube at least for discovery and, and musically the app. But really, like, they just can just explore. And I think they're finding these people that can show them that, hey, playing the violin can be really cool at a young age. It can be really engaging. You can get so much more out of it than just playing in your school and taking lessons. Right. You can do so much with it. You can write original music, post a video of yourself doing it, and throw it on the web. If you get two views, great. If you get 2,000 views, even better. Um, but I think that sense of learning how to market yourself um, as a musician at a young age, I think YouTube is teaching that to them subconsciously. Right. And I think it's a really important part to knowing how knowing your self-worth and knowing to put yourself out there. Be confident in what you're doing. Absolutely. So how many members are in your orchestra? In our top, so we have two ensembles. In our top orchestra, so main youth rock orchestra, there are uh, 25 students enrolled in that group. And then we have a beginner ensemble for entry-level students uh, who are younger. Uh, it's called My Rock. So main youth rock orchestra, classics for kids. Uh, so my rock has uh, currently only seven students. That's a big, we just started that not too long ago. Um, it's our, we're trying to grow our beginner feeder program so that kids can kind of get their toe in the water and they just play covers. Beginner kids they play mm-hmm. pop rock covers. But it gets them out there. Gets them out there. Gets them playing shows at like absolutely here in Portland plays at Port City Music Hall or One Longfellow Square. Mm-hmm. Playing these outdoor shows. And then they, then they get to see Myro on stage with these bands, and it's kind of something to work towards. That's great. You know, it's really something to say, okay, I could be on Thompson's Point stage, or hey, I could tour the East Coast in a few years. Sure. If I really work really hard. How old is the youngest? Youngest is 12. Young, uh, for the top group, youngest is 12. For the beginner group, youngest is 10. So Fantastic. And do you see this only growing? Oh, yeah. So when I first started this, I was teaching public school at the time. I was doing both at the same time. Uh, and it wasn't quite as big as where we are now. Uh, I, I kind of saw it being only a state level, and then I saw after like a year and a half, I really saw what it did, uh, not just for the students. I saw what it did for the community. I saw what it did for music education. And like it's, it's engaging kids and getting them learning in a whole different way, um, and a much more practical sense, um, and application. And so, I about I don't know, maybe about a year, year, year and a half ago, I really started thinking. I'm going to take this nationally. Like this is something I'm going to do nationally. Um, so within the year, within the year, year and a half now, uh, we're putting already starting the plan to uh, switch over from Maine Youth Rock Orchestra to American Youth Rock Orchestra. Really? Yes, that's uh, fantastic. And so we'll be launching these. The goal is in the next 20 years having one in every single state, um, and then if not more than one in every single state, so that um, we are helping re- be kind of being that engine to take music education in a direction it needs to go. Uh, at all levels. Right. What's nice is you'll have a blueprint here. Exactly. And that we can just replicate. And and that also that as a national nonprofit at that time, we can all live under the same mission and all have one common goal. And that's, you know, provide students alternative education that not only grows them musically um, and educationally, but grows them creatively and emotionally. So... Tell us a little bit about uh, the scheduling. You know, how much of a demand is it? It's, 
Uh, it's become more of a demand. So during our usual season is for the students, it's every Monday night from September to June um, for two hours. Um, and then... Uh, and where are you? Where, where do you? Right here where we're having this interview. Okay, yeah. So great. we actually we squeeze into here. Uh, we have our rehearsals here. Um, and then our average season's around seven concerts um, starting. And so uh, this upcoming season, we actually speak going back to what we are talking about with... Uh, with the internet, uh, there's a group called Postmodern Jukebox, hmm. who got famous on YouTube and by this guy, Scott Bradley, and he um, basically takes modern-day rock pop tunes and turns it into like 1930s swing and, like, and Dixieland cool. tunes. It's so cool. Um, but one of their singers in the group is Casey Abrams, and Casey Abrams got famous first on American Idol season five, and we'll be performing with him uh, uh, in March up in Rockland, Maine. Uh, but he's just like, you know, he's just a force to reckon with. He's just, you know, not bigger guy, super hairy beard, long, long ponytail, uh, but sings up, plays upright bass while singing lead, lead vocals. Wow. And so we're going to have his band backed by Main Youth Rock Orchestra. Um, and so... And how does that come to be? So it, uh, it's, it's a, there's a kind of a two-way street. So we were lucky enough with Guster, because which was, for me, high school dream come true. That's all my cover band played. Uh, they reached out to us. You know, they were looking for the 25th anniversary show they just did. Um, they were looking at trying to um, do something special, and they heard about Maine Youth Rock Orchestra and doing it in Portland. So they reached out to us, and you know, at that point, luckily, they held the music great, so we didn't have to write any of the orchestra parts. And uh, and then so they sent us the music. We rehearsed for three or four months and put a show on. Uh, for these other artists, however, uh, for the most part. I find artists that I think would be a great fit for orchestra, and not just for my personal, you know, favorites. Um, I also think for artists that the kids might not know, um, but they can grow to love super fast. And there's some incredible artists out there they just have no idea who they are. Um, and so someone like Casey Abrams, who is, you know, as far as like the 21 and like 45 demographic, it's pretty well known. Sure. Uh, but for under 21, and for their parents, might not know who he is, but right. for Iris Music, they go, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. He's a great songwriter. Um, and so it's a lot of me reaching out, and then I work with a booking agent locally. So and about, the others. And, well, for, for those, all the artists that I reach out to, and uh, make sure that you know, we, we, I treat our ensemble like a performing artist, like a band. You know, we really are a band. Um, we have a lot of value. We bring a lot to the stage. There's a lot of work that goes into one show. So, and as a nonprofit who's trying to grow, you know, we, we just got our 501c3 status um, uh, from the IRS and trying to really um, be a successful nonprofit. And maybe before we launch, launch nationally, it's, um, it's showing, make sure that we're, as, a, as an artist, we're getting our, our, our value and our worth. Um, so once we confirm the booking of the show with the artist and then I go ahead and I write uh, the orchestral charts. I write all the music for the, for the orchestra to practice. Uh, luckily, I've had an, an intern for the summer from Bowdoin College, Sam Kizabat, uh, with me for the entire summer. And he's been probably putting about 300 hours of music composition wow. for this upcoming season. So he gets credit for this upcoming season a lot. Fantastic. Uh, so, uh, but then once, once we get the music written, we rehearse every week. And, and then the day of the show, we, we meet up at the venue and we rehearse with the band and put the show on that night. It's incredible. Yeah, so. And what's your role? for the show itself? Oh, usually, prior to having an awesome board of directors, it was everything. It was really just me doing everything from, my main role at, at when we're at the show is to be the conductor of the orchestra. Okay. And that's where my passion lies. Okay. Like, conducting and teaching is my, is my bread and butter. That's what I want to do the rest of my life. No question. Um, it's where, I, where I'm the happiest. So you're living that. I'm living now. that. I'm living that now. Uh, and like, did you have experience before this? As, yeah, well, as teaching public school when I was conducting okay. orchestras at the public school, I had to be a conductor. I had to be, you know, and I had to know every string instrument. Um, even though cello is my main instrument, I had to learn everything. And, and wow. college prepped me for that back in 2004. Um, but it was, um, it was really like in, getting in the classroom and just having to do it at necessity and having to be really good. And I took it very seriously, and I really cared about being the best at what I was doing. Um, and so that, that prep set me up for running this as, as a performing ensemble. Um, but then, you know, then it's make sure all, all the students are there, attendance, food prepared, sound check goes well, activities for them in the downtime in between sound check and the show. 
uh, making sure everything's in place ready to go. But now I have a wonderful set of board of directors supporting this nonprofit that is just you know all hands on, ready to help out at any at a at a moment's notice to really make sure that the show is successful and that I also get to relax and focus purely on the music. Right, right. So uh, what about the funding? Do you, do you get any state funding? How does that happen? So currently uh, the students pay tuition to, okay. uh, per year and we offer uh, free tuition for students who are uh, receive free and reduced lunch at school. So okay. if they're a low-income family, um, they don't have the money to be in the program, that does not stop them. We will we'll provide scholarship for them to make that happen. Otherwise, uh, the students pay, uh, pay a tuition and the rest, we actually have had just one donor so far um, supporting us. We have not even reached out for any major fundraising campaigns, grants, anything yet. Um, that's our goal in the next six to eight months for us is to really um, put that campaign in place and, and grow. Um, luckily, we've had three years of content. We were under the umbrella of another nonprofit for two years, and that became my own of uh, July 2016. And uh, so now that we have three years of showing what this program tr can truly do for the community and for the students. Uh, I, 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 we have a strong foundation for going to ask for uh, you know, annual, annual campaign and, and, and for donations. No, that's wonderful public. because it's so important for a community. And then if you're going to take this concept and go beyond, again, as we talked about that blueprint, um, I'm sure you know, funding is going to be one of the, the you know, oh, sure. oh, major... It's, it, oh, it absolutely has to be. And um, you know, one thing I, I really love seeing is with the shows, and that's what really, there's two things that really make me want to grow and push this more and more. One is seeing audiences that would never be in the same room otherwise. Usually if you have a youth orchestra, 90% of the audience are just parents and, and their families, right? Right. And but yeah. when, you, when you put a cool audience, like when you put with an awesome audience, like you know, 4,500 people with Guster, they're there for Guster, but then like, but maybe like 200 are there for Myro. Right. But then they're like, oh, this is so cool. Like they get so excited about this. That's great. Um, and you get like, you know, we had, um, you know, just after the first song when we performed with them, uh, with this crazy light show, just the audience went nuts and you just saw every student's face just light up. And it was the most gratifying feeling. And then when you get off the stage and people say, I wish I had this when I was a kid. Sure. And that right there, that's the piece that's like, I'm doing something right uh, and to keep going with this because like, I'm seeing what it's doing for the next generation of musicians and, um, and people who are going to heck run the country. So. Absolutely. That's right. No, and I'm sure it's great for their confidence in school and, and other things that they're involved with um, just oh, to be part of that. Absolutely. And it's been really cool to see what they get out of this ensemble uh, outside of school and apply it to the classroom. Mm -hmm. You know, like, uh, they're being more creative, and again, like there's there's study after study showing, um, inequitably that that you know playing a musical instrument that is actually very that focused on fine motor skills is one of the few activities ever that accesses every part of the brain. Um, it's it's like you know singing does it, but because of the use of fine motor school skills in your fingers, um, it it even really more it, it even more set in sure, sure. So it's it's just reinforcing that that notion of the importance of playing an instrument and applying it to your academics and to your, your life. Sure. That's awesome. So let's switch gears a little bit. Sure. Let's talk about you yeah. and your passion. What what drives you? What what wakes you up in the morning to really give it your all? You know, I when I I thought and I, I gave a I gave a TED talk uh, a year and a half ago uh, about kind of like my background and my path. Um, and I really thought I said this in my talk saying uh, I really thought I was going to teach in a public school classroom until I was like 85 years old and then retire or die. One of the two. Um, but uh, there was a, when I started doing this program and I, like the first concert was cool and I'm proud about like one year in, I'm like, this is where I belong. Like the fact that the, this, this whole space, this idea, this concept, this came from this, all this was in my brain. Like nothing, you know, it, there wasn't something in existence already. I had to start from scratch with this. And, and that's your artistry, your creativity. It is, and that's what it is. It, the fact that I can be creative every single day, and sure, there's a lot of emailing and, and planning, and that's not the sure. fun part, but it, if it allows me to do this as a, for a living, like I get to teach my own curriculum, I get to conduct an orchestra, which is the biggest high ever. It is the coolest feeling. It is the coolest feeling. Right. Um, if I get to work with amazing bands and musicians that I admire, if I get to work with students and help make their lives better, if I can do it in Maine, like I, I, you know, I'm from Albany, New York, and I 
came, my grandparents lived in Maine my whole life, and I came to school here for my undergrad, and I moved back to upstate New York to teach for four years, and I just missed Portland. So I quit, <laughs> and I moved back to Portland with no job. I lived on a couch for six months, but I got a job you know, a week later teaching public school. Um, and, and But I, I realized that I, as much as I love the public school classroom, this is where I belong. I get the chance to be really show what I have to offer in the world of music education and and into the into the main main community. Um, yeah, and it's not easy to do, right? So so something inside of you, you you are a risk taker. Yeah. In in in, in some regard, right? It's, teachers typically aren't risk takers, but there yeah. was something in you that I, you knew there was. I like I like a bigger proving, plan. I like proving people wrong. Mm -hmm. I really do. Uh, there was uh, when I first. I think I mentioned this earlier. There was a, a few teachers when I first started this uh, program. So like, like, oh, that's cute. This is not, and I, 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 a little side project. This will be fun for you. I gotta go. Just you wait. And I, I didn't say that to their faces. Sure. To yourself. To myself. Right. Right. Gives like, you the just, motivation. Just you that's right. Oh yeah. And yeah. like, because you know, uh, people, especially the classical community, didn't take it seriously. You put rock in the name. And it's like, oh, it's a fun little rock band. Like, and I and I hate being prepared at the school of rock because it's not what we are. Um, we offer a lot more than that. Um, and, but I think it's really important to show like students what their true potential is. And, uh, I, you know, I really, in my brain, I knew what this was going to be. And I didn't think it would happen in, like where we are in three years. I really don't think we'd be here in three years. Uh, as far as at, at the stage we're at, I thought we'd be much lower. Um, but it's been just been incredible to see. The community support and like people are showing like okay this is something special mm -hmm. this is something really special and just in the name the dichotomy rock and orchestra yeah you know it's, it's you know, hard to wrap your head around at first and you, you look at going back in the early 1970s uh, electric light orchestra was kind of the first one and beatles did it you know bgs used strings on it on albums but it was always like it was always a supplemental part of music uh elo they had the two cello players one was like a purple cello it was a white cello um, in the group and like you know but like they, they are the reason like I got obsessed with strings in, in, in rock music uh, because of their influence oh yeah plus their songs are amazing it's ELO right. Jeff Lynne is just a songwriter genius um, but uh, the concept has kind of been kicking around and these other youth just started it but the way what I think was really special about here is that Maine doesn't usually get the sexy factor um, I think lately it does. The past couple, three or four years, have really we've been making all the articles about food and food yes. and, and drink scene. It's a great place to vacation. Um, there is there are some musical gems from Maine, but like it's still not the not a hub yet. You know, it's slowly getting there. And um, I I really wanted to be one of those people that like you're part of that movement, part of that movement, but and really kind of one of the people to lead that movement mm -hmm. in what we're doing. So putting you know. We were originally called uh, Portland Youth Rock Orchestra, so we would have been Pyro. Uh, okay. And actually, really cool. If you look at the logo, it actually look, it looks like a candle yes. in the middle, and that was not intentional okay. at all. Uh, but then I got a phone call the week before I launched from Portland, Oregon. There's a there was a Portland Youth Rock Orchestra out there. Said so we have it federally trademarked. You okay. can't use it. So I'm actually glad because I want having a name in there was just so uh, so important, and and it was it was huge. Um, yeah, and I think people could really now identify with the with, with and, the area and, and, and there are a thousand youth orchestras out there, like all over the place. I was in one when I was in high school, and it was it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, you know, I got to play Carnegie Hall when I was you know sixteen years old. But you know, you put the rock in there, and it gets like it gets people going, okay, what is that, and gets them a little more intrigued, right? Um, and kind of wants them to explore more and learn more. Yep, yep, yep. So, what's next? So we are on our, we usually don't go through the summer, but because of Guster, we uh, are on a two-week break. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, two weeks. We, we kick back up Labor Day weekend, uh, so I think this will probably air after that. Um, but, um, so we are launching our 27-2018 season. Uh, we have, currently, we have, we have eight shows this season for this organization. Um, in, uh, we'll have a few in September with a band called Shook Twins. Um, Portland, Oregon, um, but in November, uh, October, we'll feature um, uh, a singer-songwriter show, uh, a group called the DuPont Brothers, who are from Burlington, Vermont. Uh, Max Garcia Conover and Connor Garvey are from here, here in Portland, Maine. Uh, so it'll be a singer-songwriter show backed by Maine Youth Rock Orchestra. 
And then uh, November's a fun one. Uh, we, there is a, an annual Beatles night here. And this will be the 15th annual one. And it started off 15 years ago at this little club that doesn't exist anymore called the Big Easy. 180 people capacity. Wow. Tiny. That was a tiny <laughs> little club. And now it's got moved to the State Theater, which is right below us, where as we speak, it's 1800 cap theater. It's now three nights. And this is the first year with three nights. And the past years, it was two nights, and they always sell out. So it went from 180 people attending one show to 15 years later, we have 3,600 people attending two shows, selling out. And so we're playing, the first night we're playing Sgt. Pepper's in its entirety, plus all the other songs, Paul McCartney songs, Wings songs, uh, from, you know, from all across the, the catalog, some Traveling Wilburys, um, and, uh, and it, it's like, it is true. Like, like, there's no costumes, but these songs are performed exactly to a T, so it's a full band. Uh, and then we'll have eight of our students from Maine Youth Rock Orchestra playing the string parts on this. On the second night will be Revolver in its entirety. Um, and then on Sunday will be a family, family matinee and a dollar of every ticket for that show goes to Maine Youth Rock Orchestra. That's great. Uh, I think I'm going to have to come back for this one. It's, it is, uh, we had a write-up in Rolling Stone a few years ago about the show. Um, it's, they said the best tribute in the country. Wow. Um, it's really awesome. And every musician is a Mainer. There's no one from outside Maine. That's awesome. Um, it's really special. So that that must pump you up. That's going to be really even harder. And oh, continue, yeah. continue to do this and, and take this higher and higher. And and I look at and trying to get these bigger next level things. And we uh, we have shows with like I mentioned earlier with Casey Abrams. We'll be doing some music videos in the winter season uh, with some down in Boston. So we have some partners down in Boston. We've been working with with the Boston Music Awards. The whole. We'll take the whole orchestra down and uh, carpool down and do some music. And again, videos. it's great for these kids. Oh, it's great. Um, and uh, it's, you know, we, we recorded an album, uh, gosh, January of 2016, uh, with a band called The Ballroom Thieves, who we toured with uh, from Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, we recorded a three-song album down in, down in Jamaica Plain, right outside uh, Cambridge, um, with, with that band. And so the kids can actually say, like, here's my album that I, I did. Um, but we'll be going back down to that same studio to, to record um, some live video, music video sessions and record some songs um, in the off season. Then uh, we'll be with Casey Abrams and then with this guy named Daniel Bernard Romaine. Um, he is a guy who mixes violin with hip hop and Middle Eastern music. Um, it's really cool. So we'll be doing some songs with him out here at Merrill, Merrill Auditorium in Portland. Um, but we really want to start kind of exploring outside of the state of Maine. We did that um, back in April 2016. Okay. Uh, with this tour, we did a nine-day tour of the East Coast, um, from Maine to Virginia, and um, we brought a documentary crew. Uh, these two brothers, Will and Sam Caswell, brought them with us. Uh, they're called Herman Mantis. That's the name of their production company. Uh, so a name their dad came up with, and we basically got everything from every live show to the ups and down moments off stage, the, the vans breaking down, kids getting sick, you know, of car got broken into, we got the security footage of that. Um, so we'll have a, a an actually, uh, we originally were gonna do a, a documentary about this tour, but we're actually gonna do a uh, eight or nine episode docu-series instead. That's fantastic. Um, so about this tour, because it was the first time uh, in history a youth orchestra has ever toured with a band. And I think we really wanted to, it was really cool to make that statement, Absolutely. but also do so on behalf of Maine. Sure. So we, we, we have a lot of Maine pride. So where will that be published? The, I'll publish on the web. Um, it'll be available um, to the donors of our Kickstarter. Um, by the time this airs, the Kickstarter will be done. Uh, but the uh, it'll be broadcast. They'll have first viewing of the entire series, privately at a private party, um, and then will be available online, um, I believe through YouTube and Vimeo. Uh, but it's really exciting to, and that's just uh, going to be our stepping stone uh, series before uh, I'm bringing them along for the long haul. And we, we're going to be, they're going to travel with me when we uh, start launching these in other cities and building the full national vision of what this organization has to offer. Awesome. Awesome. So let's go back to your, your childhood. Yeah. Where did this all start? When I was, so uh, September 4th of 19, God, let's see, 1990 or 1991. Something around that. Like I, I took my first cello lesson. I, my, I wanted to play violin. My parents said, "Nope, your brother plays violin. Pick a new instrument." They didn't want to in the house, uh, and so I chose cello. I said, "I don't want to play that. I played it at a, at an orchestra concert. I want to play that." 
So they started me with cello lessons at four and little tiny baby wow. cello. Um, I have photos of that still, which is pretty adorable and geeky. Um, and I took private lessons all through high school. And I knew in eighth grade, though, when I was like 13, that I wanted to be a music teacher. Like, I just, my dad was a phys ed and dance teacher, still is. Um, and my mom was a special education teacher. So it definitely was in the family. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I just knew in eighth grade, like, I want to be a music teacher. Like, and I never strayed from that. That was always the thing. And like, I'm, and learning the love, my love for conducting grew into that, but I still get to be a music educator. That's still the main thing I do for a living. Um, so in high school, I got more involved with, I, when I was actually, sorry, 11, I started to be involved with youth orchestras, a uh, program called Empire State Youth Orchestra in Albany, New York. Um, I was, I was in those ensembles and same idea. They had many levels. You work your way through to the top group. So from 11 to 18, I was in those groups and Graduated from Guildhall High School in 2004, and I was looking at schools, and I came to University of Southern Maine right here in Portland. And I uh, good I, music school, great music school, great. Uh, my teacher Bill Rounds for cello, he plays with the Boston Pops, Boston Symphony, and the Portland Symphony, um, and then Robert Lehman, who is the who was actually my youth orchestra conductor back in Albany, he got hey. the job as orchestral uh, uh, director of orchestral studies at USM. And he's like, you got to check out the school. And I came. I fell in love with it. I wanted to be in Maine. Um, I wanted to work with him. He's a phenomenal conductor. Uh, I wanted to take lessons with Bill. And then I got a great scholarship as well for, for cello. And I just, it was a home run. And it was a very, very small school. That's a thing. You know, I was one of the few string players in the school itself. Um, but I think it was the right choice because I got so much opportunity. I got so much. I fell in love with playing a lot more. Um, I was playing constantly, and I really like got to be involved in the main community early on. And I got, and that's when I, was, I also started playing with bands in twenty like two thousand six. Um, I had a I had a band my freshman year of college. It was just awesome. two. It was just two of us: guitar and cello. <laughs> uh, and then. Uh, but then I really started like playing and recording for bands in 2006, and that's when I started to get my foot in the door, and, uh, and you know meeting the music community here. So that when I moved away in 2008 to go teach in upstate New York, um, I moved back, and I already had those connections. So I didn't come in uh, completely cold. I actually had had those people in, in the in the community who I knew to reach out to about playing again, and I started you know performing shows, recording into 2012 when I moved back and. Then really 2013 when this idea clicked in my head. But I went, I've taught everything from pre-K general music classes to, um, and I've taught orchestra from fourth through twelfth grade. I've done I've done every grade level, I've taught every grade level um, along the way. I love it. It's great. It's awesome. Yeah, it really is. Um, so, what was that moment like? Go take us back to when you made your decision to leave the school. Yeah, you know it was. Uh, it was hard, you know, it was, um, cause I, I really thought, because, you know, coming from a parents being educators and uh, really thinking that that was my path until, like, you know, leaving and then it was hard, but I think what was important was I, I believed in myself. I believed, I believed in what I was doing and I, I think that was my comfort. And I had some individuals just like on my side. I, this one woman um, who's my board president now, um, her name's uh, Valerie Landsberg. If you ever watched Fame, uh, the TV show, she was Doris on that show. Okay, great. Yeah, so uh, she you know, lived in LA and Hollywood for years with her, uh, her family's all out there. And then uh, her, her, someone in her family lived in Rockland, Maine. And so she sold her house in Hollywood and moved to a 600 square foot studio apartment in Rockland because she wanted to give her money to people and not things. Wow. And she, and that's that story, and she, she's really been the reason, both uh, emotionally and professionally, I, I am where I am today, because she, we played a show in, in November 2014 at a place called The Strand in Rockland, Rockland, Maine, uh, with three bands, uh, The Ballroom Thieves, uh, Darling Side, and The Ghost of Paul Revere. No one knew who any of us were really were then, um, and so she and her and her boyfriend decided to come out to the show on a whim. She sat down, saw this one song we performed with Darling Side called "Blow the House Down." She walked backstage with no permission, hugged me first, and then said, "I'm Valerie. How can I help?" Wow. Saw one song, and that's all she needed. 
and that was that was kind of like my moment with it. If I can impact someone's life like that and have them support me unequivocally and just like believe in my mission and what I want to do, that's my reassurance of that the path I'm on is the right path. That's great. You know, it sounds like that moment really sealed it for you, right? Yeah. Did you already make that your decision at that time, or was that part? No, that, that was prior. So, so that was part. That was prior. Of yeah. So, but that I knew that. But those kind of moments are the sure. ones that really prove it. But. Um, no, it was, it was in 2015 that I, I went all out with this. And it was a tougher road because it's financially not as viable. So there's a lot of working side jobs, like still bartending one night a week or recording albums. I, like I learned how to be a designer on my own just to make actually, I had to, I had to add a necessity for this nonprofit. Sure. Designing my own posters. And luckily I had a great designer do the logo um, when I first started the organization. Um, and then, uh, but then I, so I was doing side jobs just to kind of make up that money that you know I wasn't making in the first few first few years. Right. No, and it sounds like look, you know, it's cliche, but when you put your mind to something yeah. and you really want something, you'll do anything to get there. Yeah. And you you made it through. You it's, persevered. You know, there's the, the 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 sexy word right now is hustle, and I and I, I get it, but there's another quote. You know, there's always that phrase. You know, uh, works works smarter, not harder. And I, I don't buy it. I think work smarter and harder. It's like you have to do both. Because you can be more efficient, but then if you're being more efficient, what are you going to do with the rest of that time? It'll really make this a reality. Like if I wasn't working 90-hour weeks every week to make this where I am today, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be even close. If I didn't give this my entire attention, if I didn't give this all my energy and thought, you know, those first two years, we not, would not be here. I don't know if we would even be like as viable, if viable at all. Um, it's, so if you truly, a lot of people go into a job where they just do it. And I think, especially being a creative, that's hard. You know, you want to do what you love, but it requires 10 times the work. And usually not a lot of creatives can have both the business acumen and the creative side. Um, but it sounds like, did you have to learn some of that on your oh, own? Hard way? A lot. I never thought I'd be doing anything with business in my life. Mm -hmm at all, like 0%. Like with schools, you get your paycheck, they take care of payroll, they take care of your medical, they take care of all that stuff for you. And you just, you just teach and that's it, you know? But with this, you have to do everything. You have to do everything. It's, it's, um, but it's more rewarding, isn't it? Oh, it's 10 times more rewarding. So like when something goes wrong, it's 10 times worse. When something goes right, it's 10 times better. Okay. So, but it's those, it's those failures that are really crucial, those help me build. Like I know I failed, what am I gonna do to make it better next time? How am I gonna improve? What am I going to do more efficiently? What am I going to organize better? How am I going to communicate this better? You know, I uh, we were going through the other day, looking through the first few posters of Biro, and they were awful. They were just the most hideous posters alive. And so, like learning, you know, like learning how to brand, learning how to create an environment, learning how to create uh, an aesthetic, learning how to create a mission statement, how to run a nonprofit, how to, you know plan for spending and organizing events and, and uh, uh, sorry, creating a budget and mm -hmm. learning how to um, do that, everything that goes into every aspect of a nonprofit, like being a one-man show, it's, it's tough, you know, but you have to do it out of necessity. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. That's right. I, there's no bigger thrill for me to sit down with people like you and, and talk about how you got there. Yeah. Now you're living it and hopefully people that are listening can get something from that and, and have the courage to, to do it themselves because it is so rewarding. It is. And um, you can't put a price tag on that. You can't, and it's, it's scary. Like, it's scary. Um, it's, we call it resistance, right? Yeah, it's, and it's, you know, especially when people doubt you and when, you know, if you have like, if you have like maybe 80 people doubting you in your, in your inner circle, maybe find a new path, but if there's a couple people who are just being, you know, the hecklers, you know, the Statler Wolders or the Muppets, right. you know, type right, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, if you have, if you have that, a few people like doubting you, work harder and prove them wrong. Um, if you have a vision that you believe with 100% of your soul that you think is right, or you do think it's the right path, or you know you can do it, then do it. But don't do it and work a 40-hour work week. Do it. And put in all your hours. You know, again, sleep when you need to sleep, eat when you need to eat. If you need social time and rest time, it's important. 
but otherwise put pour every ounce of it. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Forty hours a week work when you have a major organization, you have a bunch of people working for you. Right. You know, when you are one person by yourself trying to do something, it's easily eighty hours or more. So and, interesting. But but you have to you have to you have to push yourself and you have to put yourself out there in in a in a place where you might be uncomfortable, vulnerable, super vulnerable. But when but the payoff, like if you're selling a product and you get that first big sale where someone bought a large quantity of something or you had this or you a service and you got like 10 no's but you got that 11th yes that's what pushes you yeah you know that's the thing that drives you to that next level what's incredible with this conversation is that right now i am living exactly what you described so i had the idea for this podcast brewing um, and i made it happen um, taking this course from Brian Rose at London Real. There's 60 people in the class. You can see that people are all over the place. Some people are committed, some people are dropping out. But exactly what you said is what I'm living right now. And that's, I really have two full-time jobs. Yeah. I have my full-time job, and then I have this, which is another full-time full -time job. job. So eat with And you eat. gotta be a dad, you know? And I have to be a dad, absolutely. So finding that, that, that work, work life balance is really hard. But, but when you believe in something. It, that's right, it doesn't matter because when you know you're waking up at 4 a.m. and going to bed at 1 a.m. And, and you're functioning and you're fine and yeah. you're motivated, that's when you know it's good. That's when you know inside your heart and in your soul that it's the right thing to do. And, and you're, I could tell, you're doing that. I, and like today was, a, today was a slow day. Like I was out of the house by eight or eight a little later than that. But like took my time this morning. One day is fine here and there. But you know you need those days to rest and recoup. Um, but you know especially in a time now where you know you have ten thousand times the competition because of the internet. But people are making big lives on the internet now, and you have so much more noise to cut through. What are you going to do differently? And you know. <laughs> like, this is my general attire pretty much every day. Black jacket, black shirt, usually black jeans this is a rare one. Uh, but like, you know, and then you say, I conduct an orchestra. Those things don't go together. But then they say, just watch and I'll prove you wrong. You know, and like, I can, I can engage a student and get them excited about music like that. When I'm on stage, I'm 10 times more jacked up and excited than the kids are. Right. Uh, I keep saying kids, young artists. I like saying sure. young artists better. Um, but they just, you know, it's, and the, those kind of things is like, when you can live, it's one thing if you live it, it's one thing if you just, it just radiates from you, like who you are and what you do for a living. Um, because it shows that you're not in it just for a payday. You're not in it for the money. You're in it because you care about it. Right. And like, especially with nonprofit life, you're definitely not in it for the money. Right. But you're in it for creating something that's going to better the community, the, the state, the country. The world. And, and the world. And and but also just the, the idea like for what we do the, the notion of education mm -hmm. and I, I have some books I'm working on that are very in the beginning stages uh, one for teachers one for students that approach that you know how, how to reinvent the classroom um, that's super crucial um, because you know we're going to hold the time mm -hmm. you know we and if we're not teaching them the right way or the right skills at a young level um, then when they graduate they're going to be that much farther behind or that much more lost mm -hmm. and this is not a time to have that. This is the time to really get that next generation engaged and learning properly. Um, and maybe it's not every historical fact, but maybe it's practical life skills and application because if they can learn how to apply themselves better and how to do so efficiently and effectively, then you'll be much better individuals as adults. Mm -hmm. And that's when I'm really trying to drive and ingrain these students. That's great. So uh, aside from expanding into other States yep. potentially going national. Uh, what other bigger desires, plans do you have for Maine? For Maine, um, one thing that's hard with this state, and this is why actually I love the story of what we have, is there are in the entire state ten school districts that have a string program. Hmm. Less than a thousand students in the entire state play a string instrument. Wow, that's terrible. From and some of them are kindergarten, some of them are high schoolers. You know, every age. Uh, I think only three of the districts have over two hundred kids enrolled. The rest are like very, very low. Why is that? Is that funding? Is it's it funding. Uh, the quality of teacher is the is the support from the community. You know, it's Maine's a big marching band school. Maine loves their marching bands. Maine loves their choruses. Uh, it's it's hard. There are some 
excellent string programs in the state, um, but there's not enough. You know, and I'm, I'm not just seeing it in my group, as far as numbers, I know the, the classical youth symphonies are having a hard time with numbers in their enrollment. Um, more programs are being cut. I think in the past decade, three or four more programs were cut, so we're down to 10. Um, so one thing I want to do with this organization is not only expand nationally, but use what we're doing to improve and grow music programs, grocery programs in and out of the schools um, within the state. You know, I, I want to show like there's something awesome about an orchestra you just don't get else otherwise, you know. And especially with the high school, if you can have a full symphony orchestra, that's the coolest sound ever. There's nothing cooler than a symphony orchestra. It just any rock band doesn't have has nothing to it. You know, um, I was in uh, I was in Prague uh, back in two thousand eight and I saw the Prague Royal Phil play. And they are a 50-person orchestra. Most symphony orchestras are like 80 or 90. And they're a 50-person orchestra playing a piece that Dvorak, the composer, wrote in his hometown. He was born and raised in Prague, wrote this wow. piece of music in Prague, uh, the New World Symphony, which is one of the greatest classical works to date. Um, and here he played with a 50-person orchestra, making it sound like a 100-person orchestra. And I just sat there like I wept. It was like the coolest feeling. And so if we can like show students the power of of playing an instrument and an ensemble uh, and doing so in an engaging way, learning how to really get into the music more than what's being offered now, then I want to be that person leading that revolution both in the state and out of the state. Awesome. So take us inside the head of a conductor. Okay. So I have to start, you have to start with great hair. Okay. Great hair you is the first step. I have that down. I would not uh, be a good conductor. <laughs> it's, it's weird. A lot of the great conductors, most of their hair is like just crazy. Like it's not controlled. Einstein. Uh, I think worse. Uh, but there's, um, okay, so when you're conducting an orchestra, you're not only providing the beat pattern when you're, you know, one, two, three, four, or one, two, three. You're basically, when measures of music are broken up, that way it just organizes the music better. That way we all stay together. So I say, everybody start at measure four, they know exactly where that is. Not like, look for the 12th note on that line, okay. you know? So they're divided so by measures. Those moving. So basically like, if I'm conducting like, here's a four pattern, two, three, four, and like, if I wanna go more intense, it's like sharper, like this, or it's much more smooth and like light. And also, depending on the speed of music, I could go one, two, three, and I'm showing very slow, fluid motion. Um, from, and so what I convey as a conductor is how they should play. So I'm conveying what I want them to feel and, and how I want them to play the music. Um, if I'm conducting small motions, soft. Large motions, like forte, lots of power. You know, and you, you are, you're the heart of the orchestra. You make the orchestra happen. You know, without the heart, it doesn't, it can't feel as a group. You know, luckily there's a lot of markings in the music which help guide you, but it's that conductor that really kind of drives it home. Um, so not only so are you providing, keeping them together with a beat pattern, uh, you're helping them also, like if they say they're resting for a while, you cue them in when they have an important line to come in on uh, for one section. And then not only that, so you have what's called a score. You have all the parts at once. So for a string orchestra, you're only reading five sections, two violin sections, a viola, cello, and a bass. Okay. So you're only reading. You're reading. It's like reading five lines of text at once. Okay. Okay. Wow. So that's not easy. Then you have a full symphony orchestra, which is sixteen lines of music at once, and so you're here. You're 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 reading horizontally, but you're listening vertically. You're listening down each measure, what's happening. So then when you're conducting in rehearsal. You're listening for the parts that are wrong. You're listening for the parts that, if someone played a wrong note, you have to know what instrument played it, where, when, which, how are they wrong, and to fix it. Wow. While all this stuff is happening otherwise. Wow. Uh, so it's very intense. It is the coolest feeling. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of like listening there's that old cartoon where like the guy leans back in the chair with the sunglasses, the goggles, and the two speakers pointed at him. Okay. It's like that, where you have like the sound system pointed at you, and all the sounds coming to you. And you're creating it. Well, you're creating it. As a conductor, you're guiding it. Like when it's, if it's for my or stuff where I write the music, it's both creating and okay. guiding. Like you know, for the Guster show, the music was written by somebody else. Sure. But I love internalizing it. Like I try to memorize, memorize all the music in my head before the shows. That way, I can just be fully in the moment. Um, and be ready, fully engaged. 
uh, and not staring at my music. I'm staring at the sections of the orchestra and helping them out. Um, but it's there's so much that goes into it because there are some conductors that are like the legends that just like do little hand motions, but they just everything's in their face. So not only using your hands, your mind, you're conveying it, but your facial gestures convey how you want the music to feel as well. So you're you're using all these different sensory motions to uh, provide the orchestra the maximum amount of knowledge needed to give the best best quality product of how the music should sound. And where where do you feel that you are, uh, if you could, as quality? So, yes, I mean, do you have room uh, to I'm, grow? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because like, again, I I don't have a degree in conducting. Uh, a the room. conductor in Prague. I mean, is he? Oh yeah, but there was a, actually my roommate uh, who just moved to Memphis, Tennessee. He's now the assistant conductor of the Memphis Symphony. Um, he was here the assistant conductor of the Portland Symphony for a year. Um, he has his doctorate in conducting um, at thirty. Incredible. Um, and he's just like. He makes me look like just a hot mess of a conductor because he's just so good. Um, but you could learn from him, right? Oh yeah, learn, oh, yeah. I, I definitely want to go and take more conducting lessons because mm -hmm. it's so it's what that's what gets me the most excited. I love conducting an orchestra. Are you self-taught? Nope, I had to take conducting lessons in college. Okay. Um, but then my style, my technique, that's my own. Mm -hmm. uh, the way I, I conduct, and, and again, there's some influences. There's a conductor from the uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic, the LA Phil. His name is Gustavo Dudamel. He is the man. He is the most amazing conductor uh, to me. That's how he has a powerful name. Yeah, oh, yeah. Gustavo <laughs> Dudamel. You don't mess with a guy like that. He came from Venezuela. Um, he uh, he was music music director and conductor of LA Phil at twenty six years old. Um, and he, he's just this. He's just he could he lives the music, fully lives the music, and every ounce of his being when he conducts like he. He, there's a video of him rehearsing with an orchestra. They played four notes. He goes, no, 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 no. I want you to take it, feel it. Like that. Like, wow. it, like, he's like, no, I want you to be angry at those four notes. And like, does it again? No, no, it's not angry enough. Like, we'll just do four, like, two seconds of music. But he's so in tune with it. Uh, so I have so much more to learn um, to grow on. And that's something I do want to do over the years. Um, but the big part of me, aside from conducting, though, is I love being a teacher. And that's where. You know, I don't go by Mr. Oates anymore. I was, I was Mr. Oates forever. My dad's Mr. Oates as well. Um, I go by Kevin, even with my students now in rehearsal, or Maestro, I like that quite a bit. That's great. Um, but there's, there's just, you know, there's just something, there's so much more room to grow, both as a conductor, as a teacher, as an organization, as a, as a nonprofit. You know, there's always, it's so important to never just settle what you have. Never, like, never teach the same thing twice, Never, if you do teach the same curriculum twice, how do you teach it different? You know, how are you going to improve upon it? Mm -hmm. uh, my dad most so, I don't know if you know about public school systems, most give you a 3% experience raise every year, just, just for doing another year in the school district. Okay. So my dad had this quote, I love this, he said, if you're going to get a 3% raise, how are you going to teach 3% better? And that, love it. Uh, I, 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 I always love that quote, um, you know, because... So it's like you may have the same curriculum, but how are you going to do it better? How are you going to keep improving on yourself? Mm -hmm. uh, I never want to be like the version of myself now. I don't want to be that version next year. I want to improve continually. I, oh yeah, well. I never want to. I never want to be stagnant. I've not been that my my whole life. I don't intend to stop now. Um, I'll have my 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 methods, but I want to always improve upon them. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important because also the students change. You know, the way we approach education is changing. Sure. You no, know, I'm not going to teach the curriculum I did that was existing in 1987. Um, it doesn't apply. Um, you know, the content may be the same, but the method of teaching is not should not be the same. Um, and I think, in general, public schools nationwide, we have to catch up with the times. Oh, yes. There are some, there's this one school um, that is, like, is the epitome of what education should be. Uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, in the inner city, called the Ron Clark Academy. Okay. Um, Ron Clark started, he is the principal, he's also the teacher. Uh, on the outside, it's, it's, so it's meant for middle school students, like fifth through ninth grade, actually is what the age range. It's a, it's a non-profit school, it's private, but it's geared toward inner city Atlanta students who are low income families, like don't have a lot. But the outside looks like Hogwarts. Um, you walk into the school and everything is just colors. There's a twisty slide at the entrance, and every guest has to be slide certified. 
Like, and the whole school stands at the entrance and cheers them on as they go down the slide. Oh, that's great. Um, they teach math and English through rap and song and dance. They stand on the desks and do movement. Um, he, the teacher, stands on the desk. He like does these hip hop videos where he dances with the students. Um, but then they have these competitions once a year where it's a speech competition and manners and uh, you know community service. And like here's these seventh graders who are more eloquent than any public speaker that's out there. And here you are in inner city Atlanta, the last place you ever think it would be. That is great. And it's it's eye opening. And they've they've been on CBS, they've been on every major network, they've been on Today Show, um, because they're doing something right. They're making they're, a difference. They're making a difference. And we need to learn. From and, this. and they do, and they, they're adapting. They're adapting and growing with the time. They are learning that a student is the student now is not the student twenty years mm -hmm. ago, mm -hmm. and. You go. In, I'm sure that's people in the '80s or '90s said that about the '70s. Sure. So it's all relation, but they, it's just—it's a place where, like, if I was an adult, like, I want to go there. Right. I want to go hang out and like, I want to go down the slide. Uh, but it's—it's it's so amazing to see that these ideas are not just in one centralized area or in a place where it's expected. Mm -hmm. You know, you would not expect that yeah, in right. Atlanta. Right. So um, it's really exciting to see these these innovators and these educators who are revolutionizing education in every sector and not just, it's like, I'm trying to be that person for music. Um, I plan to be that person amongst others for music, but um, I still have a lot to learn, but I want to help spearhead the, the, uh, the revolution for it. That's great. So um, what are you doing for yourself in your downtime, do you do you do I have downtime? You're right. I mean, are, do you take time for yourself? Do I you do. meditate. Do you do you listen to podcasts? What do you? No, do? actually, I do. I do a podcast. Um, so my one of my downtime things, my brother and I, we do a podcast called Bach to Bach. Okay. So it's classical music and beer. Great. Um, so we we basically we partner uh, either classical pieces and we pair it with bearing that's either from that region or like uh, if we feature a brewery or a brewer, we take one of the beers and we. Like if there's a, I'll give you a good example. Um, okay, we did an episode on minimalism music. Okay. Uh, like very like repetitive, simple, and then like just very like, almost modern. And so we featured a brewery here in Portland called Oxbow Brewing, but they had a beer called Crossfade, which is something that's done a lot with minimalist music. They crossfade the parts together. Okay. So like, and so very it just cool. is trying to expose classical music to the beer community and beer community to the uh, beer to the classical community that might not have knowledge otherwise. Sure. So it's like, it's still our passion. Like classical music still is my bread and butter. It's all, that's what I teach my students right. privately. Um, it's, I still play classically a lot, all the time. Uh, without classical music, I wouldn't be here today. Um, uh, so it's still the foundation of who I am. Um, aside from podcasts, uh, you know, I do, I do like exploring Portland. I do love the food and beverage scene here. Um, I, I, I try to get out and be part of it as actively as I can. Um, I do go to a lot of concerts. I love, I mean, sure, it might be, might be work or research, right? but like, I, you know, it's, I, it, there's a few individuals, Lauren Wayne, who owns the State Theater, um, which we're right above right now, um, she's been one of the people who have revolutionized and made Portland a hub for bands to come to now. Um, she makes the toughest point happen here in Portland, she's State, uh, State Theater, Port City Music Hall, down the, down the road. Uh, she's been that, that force to not to be reckoned with when it comes to like making Portland a, an awesome music city. So that we're on the map, and she's been the really the one person that's really made a big difference. Uh, so I, I, but I do loved going to explore Maine. There's still so much of Maine I've not seen, and I've you know been here my whole life more or less. There's so much to explore and figure out. Um, and then no, I don't meditate. I probably should do that soon. Maybe try it eh. or try, a try yoga. Try, I'll try one. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> that's great. Well, this has been great. It's been great to meet you. We'll continue this relationship. I'd love to come back. I'd love to have that. You back. know, and 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 we'll we'll see where you are in six months or a year. Yeah. And um, you know, we'll show the world what, what you're doing here. I appreciate. It. Thank you for having me. This Absolutely. Is... One last thing. Go for it. What, what 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 do you want your mark to be in this world? I mean, you're a young guy. You have I, a lot I, of lot of I years like left. That. What do I want my mark to be? Um. I guess I really want to be that, like, I think on the broader spectrum, like, not just orchestra education, I want to be one of the individuals when it comes to the person who, in the 2000s, revolutionized music education. So, maybe not this, 
the people who did in the 90s, I was clearly in middle school and high school then, um, and you know, and maybe then, not 2050, but in the, in the 2000s, the first half of the century, you know, I, I want to be that person who's going to change the face of music education because it, it serves a larger purpose than just the classroom. It does so much more for an individual, it does so much more for the community when it's taught right and they taught how to bring it outside the classroom. Because music is in our lives, whether we want it or not, it's not going anywhere, it's never going to stop, and it's involved in every aspect of our life, whether it's the supermarket, the elevator, what you love to do on your, on your headphones, or you know, going to see a live show or to play music, it's always involved. So how are you going to learn to make it a part of your life, either as a listener or as a performer? And knowing how to do so properly um, is crucial. And then also the power, what the power of music has on every aspect of your life, emotionally, mentally, um, and then spiritually. Like, there's just so much it does for you. Um, so I, I think I want to be that voice and that change. And I have no doubt I'm going to be, but I just... It's, that's the mark I want to leave. That's awesome. Well, I believe in you, and and I believe if you put your mind to it, you will do that, and we're going to see good things to come for, for many years to come. Said it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks so much.